Well, Patty, I love this episode with Jaron. Always a pleasure to have him on. Yes, yes. Jaron, he's he's so much fun, but he's also has so much going on. I mean, you know, he's he's really a role model for a lot of uh a lot of ISOs and agents out there, don't you think? Absolutely. And, and today talking about card not present merchants, and he's really shifted his business model. Uh, we even get a chance, of course, to talk about NMI, since that happens to be the gateway that he uses for his card not present right. merchants. But a lot of really practical stuff that I think was really good. And then tell us about the insider support. Well, we're uh, talking about the ship shortage and how that impacts, you know, some things we hadn't thought about. Yeah, absolutely. And then, and I really, I really enjoyed your uh, questions from the field on delegation. Uh, you want to give everybody a little bit of a, a hint of what that's about? Absolutely. So last week we talked about kind of delegation 101. Today we dive a little deeper, talk about things like people selection, making sure you're getting the right person, talk about compensation, communication, all of these keys to delegation. So definitely excited about that. Uh, so yeah, I think we've got a jam-packed episode today that's going to help our industry. Patty, I'm ready to go if you are. Let's go. Welcome to the Merchant Sales Podcast. Hey everybody, we are here today with, I think, our most frequent guest at this point, uh, Jaron Rice. How are you doing today, sir? I'm good as always, man. Awesome. Thanks for joining us. So uh, we're excited to talk today about card not present merchants and specifically selling gateway solutions. We, we kind of alluded to it many times, but I want to get really specific today, get very practical. But um, before we dive into that, you know, you've been on the podcast many times, so we don't, you know, need the whole backstory, but I'm curious, how are things going? I know you switched to card, not present. You've been kind of having that focus. How's everything working out? What's the, what's the update? Oh man, it's, it's, uh, it's been fantastic. And, um, with, with the specific platform, I think we've mentioned it before we use NMI with the platform that we use, um, the, the card, not present merchants have presented an opportunity for omnichannel um, through the same platform. And so we're, we're kind of seeing things evolve uh, that way. Um, but the, the card not present, honestly, is really what got us through COVID. You know, um, yeah, there are a lot of merchant services providers and sales reps who saw their portfolio get decimated because of lockdowns and things like right. that. And right. um, for us, because we focused on card not present specifically in like the home improvement, home services spaces, um, most of our clients were deemed essential. And so, you know, after the initial, you know, three, four weeks of uncertainty, um, we ended up having our best year ever in 2020 um, nice, because nice. Our, our people were still yeah. out producing. So, it. yeah, it's Love been it. good. That's fantastic. So, like I said, I, I really want to get practical today. I really want to dig into nitty gritty details. So let's kind of follow the sales process a bit, right? So let's start at the beginning. Um, so we talk about these card not present merchants. You alluded to it a second ago, you know, home services that you know you're targeting, and I know there's others, but you know, when they come to you, whether it's through referral, whether it's through, you know, a network connection or something like that, what are the pain points? Like, why are they coming to you? What are they looking for? What is that initial conversation about, especially as it relates to the technology solution that they need to process payments? Yeah, so uh, most of them, when they come to us, they're, they're not necessarily coming to us for a technology solution. Um, that ends up being the, the, the scratching to the itch that they didn't realize they had. Yeah. Um, usually they're, they're coming to us because of the, the pricing. Um, they're coming to us because of funding delays, right? So we're, we're working with a lot of home improvement contractors and they're running 
you know, $15,000 transactions and taking them three weeks, four weeks to get their money. Mm. Um, and the, the chargeback side of things is, is really like a pain point because, you know, with COVID we've seen, you know, record chargebacks. Um, and these, uh, merchants that are running these, larger ticket items are much more vulnerable, um, you know, for a cash flow crisis when that, that chargeback hits, you know, for uh, Visa and MasterCard, it's 120 days. Um, but what people don't realize is it's 120 days from the, uh, the transaction or the delivery of goods and services, whichever is later. Right. And so, for a home improvement contractor, a lot of them are working three, four months in the rears to begin with. So they're taking a deposit right now for a job that's not going to be done for four months. So that 120 days doesn't start until four months from now. Right. So right. imagine, you know, you're getting um, that big of a, a chargeback down the road. Yeah. Yeah. Right. You so, know? Yeah. That's interesting. So, I mean, when, when you're talking about the chargebacks with them, I'm just curious, what are you telling them that you're going to do? Like, how, how do you help them with that out of curiosity? So we, um, we offer chargeback assistance as, as part of our process. So we, we talk to people, we let them know that an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. So one of the things that we do is we ask to review their, their contracts to see what about the payment schedule and about the actual signed documentation leaves them vulnerable to uh, chargebacks down the road and we help them correct that. Um, but we've sort of adjusted the, uh, the chargeback mechanism um, within our organization so that when our client has a chargeback, our company gets notified first, right? So we get the chargeback advice, we review it, we reach out to the merchant, make sure they get a copy of it, and then we get their version of what happened along with all of their documentation and things that um, they can provide. And then from there, we write the response letters and then follow up until there's a resolution to the, the, the issue. Okay, so so Jaron, you you alluded to the gateway at the beginning not being as much a part of the conversation because it's not you know as far as from the merchant they're not looking at pain points about the technology. When does the gateway come into the conversation? You know, when are you kind of introducing that, and what are the things that you're talking about with these merchants? So it's it's typically something that we introduce relatively early um, in the conversation, just because we found that a lot of our um, clients have archaic technology solutions, right? right? Sure. So, I mean, occasionally you'll run into a home improvement contractor that, that is using, you know, a virtual terminal or something like that. But a lot of them have gone with their bank, right? Because they've been burned in the past by the, by the merchant services providers. Right. right. And so, um, Usually with their bank, there's less issues with um, funding delays because right. the bank right. has access to like all of sure. their accounts. So they know kind of where, where the money is. Right. Um, and so a lot of them are um, processing transactions through, you know, 
old school VX520 that they're keying in, or, you know, I've seen a bunch of them that have, you know, the, these first data ISOs are selling or leasing them Clover minis and they're, they're sitting on the, the office manager's desk and she's just keying in every single transaction right. into a, a Clover mini. So for them, the, the idea of being able to do that through a secure portal, uh, a secure website, being able to run the transaction, send the receipt, do all of that from one place. Um, and then, you know, we, we talked to them about having a hosted payment page on their website. So if they want to send invoices and direct people there, right. uh, they, they can do that. Um, that becomes really appealing to them because a lot of them, their abilities to um, collect payment are tied to their business hours, right? Because if, if they're open nine to five right. and people have to call the office to pay, well, if you get someone that gets off of work at 5.30 and, and calls after hours and no one's there, then you end up playing phone tag trying to collect that payment. Right. So th for them being able to present a solution that, Hey, this platform allows you to send a payable invoice and the customer at their leisure can click the link, make the payment, and you'll get the email notification that it's been paid. The invoice right. is closed out and then you get the funds the next day. Um, that's a game changer for them just from a, technological standpoint. So let's talk, you know, you mentioned invoicing, which obviously is huge. And, and, you know, I want to talk about NMI for just a second. So we've been talking kind of in general terms of, you know, gateway solution. I've heard you mention NMI several times, obviously they're the sponsor of our podcast. So it makes sense to kind of weave that in, but I'm curious what your thoughts are about NMI in particular. I'm sure you've worked with different gateways. Are there any particular things about NMI for these card not present merchants that kind of in your mind makes it stand apart or maybe a reason that you utilize them? Yeah, so I have been, we, we partnered with uh, NMI in March of 2017, right? So we, we've been with them about okay. four and a half years now. Sure. And just seeing um, how well they've um, pivoted and, you know, introduced new technologies and things, how they've adapted. Um, I like that I can email them with a problem and they will present it to the engineers and we've had we've had times where they have added a feature to the platform that we suggested because one of our clients was like hey it would be really good if x and and a, a prime example of that is on their invoicing feature previously when you would put the the um uh all of the information into the invoice there was no way to preview that invoice before you sent it, mm. right? So there were times where you would put the information in and send it and then realize retroactively like, oh shoot, I messed this up. Mm. And one of my clients brought that to me. He was like, hey, is there a way that I can see the invoice before I send it because I get confused and I send, you know, send stuff and it's incorrect. And then I gotta, you know, cancel it and send it back and it makes me look unprofessional and all this stuff. And I was like, huh, that's a good idea. So I messaged their support team. They said, hey, we can present this to the engineers and, and see, you know, what, what they can do. 
And it, it probably took three or four months, sure. but they added that as a feature, right? Yeah. So now like when you go to send an invoice, there's an option, there's a button that says preview this invoice. So you can see what it's going to look like before you hit send, because you can make adjustments or corrections as, as need be. Interesting. Yeah. I like that. I think that's, I think that's a great feature for sure. So Jerome, um, I wanna... additionally, go ahead. Go ahead. No, you go ahead. Oh, just, just one, one, one other thing that I, that I really like um, is the, uh, the, the tokenization, right? Because yeah. I have been able to utilize that use case for our target clients, right? So again, we, we do a lot of work with uh, home improvement contractors. And some of them have multiple salespeople in the field. And so with the NMI platform, um, we're able to get usernames and mobile apps for those salespeople and get them a mobile card reader so that while they're in the house, when they get the signed agreement, they can take the deposit as a card present transaction, right? Wow. So in the, in the state of Maryland, um, the Maryland Home Improvement Commission limits your deposits to uh, one third or 33.33%, right? So if it's a $9,000 project, the most you can take as a deposit is $3,000. And so a lot of uh, our clients will take a third down and then they'll get the remaining two thirds upon completion. And so with this platform, the salesperson is able to get a third off of the card via the mobile app and their, uh, their card reader. And the office staff will get a notification that that transaction went through. And then from there, they're able to see the transaction and save it to the customer vault and create a billing profile for that customer. Right. right? So like when the job a, a is complete, plan. absolutely. Yeah. Right. So when the job is completed, they have payment information on file so that they can collect the, the final balance if need be. Mm -hmm. Right. And so we walk them through how to incorporate the verbiage into their agreement to let them know like, Hey, we're going to securely store your payment information in accordance to PCI compliance standards and any right. payment information you provide for the deposit, we will use for the remaining balance unless you give us alternate payment. Right. And so that really helped streamline their operation because they're not spending time chasing money after the job has been completed. One other, one other interesting thought I just had kind of off the top of my head. I, you know, I'm, I'm dealing right now with a, uh, you know, we got a new air conditioner installed. We got a new, um, you know, water heater, some electrical work. So we, we've been dealing with a lot of these types of merchants and I've been talking to them about their payment processing because it's ridiculous. And, um, you know, one thing that came up, I'm curious, do a lot of your merchants use the ACH? I know that uh, NMI has that ACH integration. Is that something that you utilize or that they utilize? So we, we have uh, a decent number, um, probably maybe two dozen or so of our merchants that are, that are okay. using the, uh, the ACH feature. Uh, for, the, for the ones that do, it's, it's a lifesaver, um, but it's not necessarily for 
every we we have one specific uh, home improvement merchant where I don't know what they're telling them in their sales pitch, but they they cater to a more affluent clientele. And so probably 75% of their transactions, the people are paying through ACH instead of through um, credit or debit cards. Right. Well, yeah, because, right? The, so yeah, because it, the, the, the issue, like, you know, what I ran into with this one is it's like, you know, it's like this $20,000 invoice and it's like, yeah, you know, we need you to pay this. And I'm like, well, how do you want me to, I don't, I don't have a credit card that allows me to run a $20,000 transaction. You know what I mean? Like I need to pay that with my yeah. bank account and it's like, and yeah. then, you know what I mean? And so it's like, so I, I don't know. I just thought for some of these larger ticket ones, you know, there, there's definitely that issue of, do you even have a card with a large enough, you know, per transaction limit to run these things? You know what I mean? Yeah. And, and that, that, that is a, a good um, use case scenario for the ACH. The other use case scenario that, that, is more common is um, we we do a lot of work with with um, martial arts dojos and and dance studios mm. and businesses okay. like those are those are like ideal omni-channel businesses because sure. they've got card present transactions for new students that are signing up and paying for their their uniforms and their equipment and things like that they've got recurring billing. Um, and sometimes they need mobile processing when they do shows and events and things like that. And, um, the ACH processing is invaluable to them because one, it's less expensive than the credit and debit card options. And you're dealing, um, less with, uh, declines because card numbers change. Right. So even though, um, they have the account, the card updater feature, um, you, you're absolutely going to run into less issues when you have a bank account routing information on yeah. file than if you have a card. Yeah, it's huge. It's huge. So, okay. So, all right. So let's, let's shift gears a little bit here. So let's get back to the sales process. So you talk about these issues. We've touched on a bunch of them. You know, maybe they need ACH, maybe they need invoicing, maybe they need whatever. And so you close the sale you're, you're ready to, they're ready to go. Um, you fill out that merchant app. Talk to us about what happens next. How do you onboard this merchant? How do you get them up and running? Maybe they've never used a, a gateway, you know, scenario before. Maybe they've never done invoicing before. Talk to me about how you handle the onboarding. Yeah, so we actually, just to take it a step prior, um, when we're bringing on a merchant that we are going to do, uh, use this gateway platform for, we always do a uh, software demo before we get the signed agreement. Oh, so okay. we utilize uh, Zoom and I do a screen share and I kind of walk them through the basics of this is what the, the dashboard looks like and this is where you would run transactions and this is where the invoicing is. Just so they, they have like a 10,000 foot view so that once we get to the point of them using it, it's not completely foreign. Yeah. Right. So that's the last step that I do right before we get the information and get the, the agreement signed. Um, Once we have the signed agreement, it's been submitted, it's been approved. um, My team will get the, uh, the VAR sheet from uh, Elevon that we need to build the, the NMI gateway. 
And so my staff will, will build the, the gateway, customize it to their preferences, um, test it out, make sure everything is, is working properly. And then they will get the uh, credentials emailed to them. And at that point, we'll find out from them, you know, um, how many users do, do they need? Who's going to be using it? And we'll get their feedback so that we can create usernames and go over like what permissions do they want their staff to, to have, right? Because the, the owner of the company may not want the salespeople to be able to run refunds or voids or run reports to see how much, you know, they've done in volume that month. And so we're, we're very specific about what kind of access do you want each of these employees to have. Um, and then once we have that set up, um, we will typically schedule a training with that merchant um, and their their team, right? So if it, if if they're primarily going to be using it um, at for the um, uh, the hosted payment page and the virtual terminal, again, that's that's a Zoom training. It's it's typically remote. Uh, every now and then we'll we'll do live in person training. Um, especially if there are a lot of people that, that need to use it, right, uh, we're, we're right. getting ready to, to bring on a, um, home improvement company that has 50 salespeople across right. two states. Right. Sure. So that, that's one of those things where it's like, this is probably going to be better in person. Yeah. Get everybody together um, in one room. Exactly. Exactly. So that, that's, that's how we kind of handle the onboarding. We're, we're, uh, we're painfully hands-on. Um, but I have just found through experience that, um, there's an added layer of stickiness when everybody is using it and using it properly. Oh my. Uh, right. And so when you get everybody on the same page, it, 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 it tends to last a lot longer than if there's not full adoption, um, and people are doing stuff wrong. Sure. Well, so I, I do want to dig into the retention here in a second, but I want to back up for just a minute. You just, you mentioned several things there that your staff is doing. You said, you know, building the gateway, which, which of course is a lot simpler, I think, than it sounds there. But the idea of, you know, adjusting settings, changing users, changing, you know, things. Can you talk about the importance of the back office? What exactly is your team really doing in the back office? Give us some examples there and, you know, why that matters when you're trying to sell gateways and, and you have a lot of clients doing card not present. Yeah. So uh, again, I, I've said this a million times um, as a business owner, our time is our most valuable commodity. Right. And so I have just learned and understand that the less the business owner has to do, the less barriers you're putting in place for them to transition over to you. And so when, when I'm selling, I, I tell them that, you know, like, Hey, we're going to do this. We're going to do that. You know, when, when we create the hosted payment page, we get a copy of, we have them send a high resolution copy of their logo that we can put at the top of the, the hosted payment page. And we create the, the, um, the redirect link, you know, we've had a lot of them will have their own webmaster where we can, get in contact with them and give them the link so that they can create the button. But we've had people that manage their own website and they give us their login credentials and we go into their website 
and create a, a pay invoice button and link it to the, the hosted payment page. So it can be as simple as just plugging in the, the credentials and, and testing it out. Um, no, wait, but it can be as. Let's, I'm sorry, that's cut off there. D- give us a little more context there. Cause some of our audience might not understand what you just said. So you, when you say you would go on their website and you would create a link to pay the invoice, which takes them to a hosted payments page. What does that mean? I mean, they're not actually looking up their specific invoice. They're just able to make a payment to that company that the, the company would see, or t- tell us more about that. Yeah. So, all right. So um, when it comes to using this platform, right, I always want to take the path of least resistance. Sure. So NMI, their gateway has its own invoicing feature, right? Right. Some of our clients use it. Very few do. Okay. And the reason being most of these established companies, especially the home improvement companies, they already have an invoicing platform that they're using and that they like or whatever. Right. Right. So I'm not going to upset the Apple card and say, Hey, you got to use this invoicing. That's, that's dumb. (laughs) Right. So it's like, okay, you're using QuickBooks for, for invoicing, keep using QuickBooks for invoicing, but in the footer of your invoice, put a link to your website to make the, the payment. And with the gateway, what we're able to do is we can create a secure hosted payment page that is not hosted on their website. It's just direct, is, they go to their website and redirect to the secure hosted payment page that has their logo and their information. And we can create a merchant defined field that says invoice number, right? right? And make that mandatory. So they are sending the invoice through QuickBooks. Their customer gets it, clicks on the link and goes to their website, clicks the pay invoice button, which then opens up the hosted payment page that we've created, which is the customer facing portion of NMI's gateway. They put in all their payment information. They take the invoice number off of the QuickBooks invoice and plug it into the invoice number data field that we created and then they put in their payment information and, and submit the transaction and the merchant gets an email notification that it has been paid. Yeah. Love it. Love it. Okay. So all this work you're doing, you know, obviously, you know, there, there's definitely a time component here. You're trained, you know, you're doing a demo beforehand, you're doing some training afterwards. You have your team setting things up correctly with all the different settings that are available. And I will say it's pretty robust with the different things you can do, you know, setting up users, all of that. Obviously, the the financial or profitability rationale for doing all this work would be retention and lifetime value of the account. So talk about that. You know, what kind of retention? I mean, are you seeing, uh, you know, a boost there? Are there still some holes in the bucket? Or, you know, what would you say about retention once you get uh, one of these card not present merchants really actually using the gateway? So for for our ideal client, um, you know, the, the, and just to kind of give you some background numbers on, you know, I shared this in a Facebook post in the, in the group, our average client is processing about $40,000 every month. Um, so if, if you're looking at it from that standpoint, um, we do charge a setup fee upfront, right? And it's $249. Okay. And I justify that setup fee based on all of the work that we're going to do to get this up and running, right? Because we don't have a, 
uh, uh, long-term agreement. There's no cancellation fee. Like if we put in all this legwork and you decide, you know, a month in, you're not happy with it. Like I still have to pay my people for that. Right. Right. Um, I've also found that the setup fee helps to weed out the, the merchants that are so price sensitive that they're going to be asking for explanations on fees every five minutes. Right. It, it, it adds another layer of, right. They, 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 I'm, I'm looking for the people that look for the overall value of what we provide, not nickeling and diming every, every little thing. And a setup fee kind of helps expose that. Right. Um, but again, I've been doing this for a while. It'll be seven years next month. As part of my close, you know, I explained to them that, listen, we don't, we don't have a contract. We don't have a cancellation fee. You know, the only thing keeping you from going somewhere else is the fact that you want to continue working with us, you know? So that puts us in a position where I have no benefit at all to not be completely and totally forthright with you about the cost and the expectations and things like that. Because if you decide three months in that you want to go somewhere else, that was a waste of both of our time. So right. I do a, a good job of almost talking them out of it up front. Right, right. So that once we go through, and I don't promise, like, I, I always tell them, listen, whenever you change, I want to promise you that everything is going to go smoothly. It probably won't. There are going to be hiccups. Yeah. You know, this is a, a big undertaking. So I set the expectation yeah, so, so that when we, when we have issues, they're expecting it. When it goes smoothly, it was in undersell, over deliver, you know what I mean? Like um, kind of scenario. And so we, we typically don't um, have retention issues because with our particular, with our ideal merchant, the, the, the home improvement contractor who's doing most of it card not present, our clients are typically seeing an effective rate, you know, between 2.6 and 2.75%. And that's with us selling at 50 basis points over interchange. Right. And right. That, that has been the sweet spot where we can be profitable and make money and still provide the level of service where we're not leaving a ton of money on the table that someone can come behind it. Because ultimately like if your effective rate is 2.6, right. And you're doing right. mostly card not present on large transactions, you're in a good place, right. Especially if you're getting the kind of service when it comes to chargebacks and, you know, assistance with the PCI compliance and things like that, that we, right. that we bring to the table. Yeah. Um, we justify our price point based on the, the level of service. And we've just found over time that that's the sweet spot in it and it works. Yeah. I love it. I love it. So last one I want to throw out there that I just, I think is kind of interesting. Um, I want to talk about branding for a second. Um, you know, you guys are not, you know, a massive ISO, you know, you're a local ISO, you have a, a, a good size book of business, but you know, you're not, you're not a nationwide um, processing company. And yet you really do focus on promoting your brand. We've talked, we had a whole episode talking about the importance of the brand. I want to talk about that relative to the gateway. I know NMI has some white labeling options. 
Talk a little bit about how you see that, you know, is that something you do? And if so, why do you feel like that's important to get your brand out there in, in, in terms of the technology that your merchants are using? Absolutely. Um, the, the branding piece was one of the, the features that drew me to NMI, right? Because prior to that, when we were using, you know, not to put them down, but when we were using Converge or uh, Authorize.net, like they're branding themselves, right? right. They're, they're not branding right. us. And having a solution that our merchant is going to log into every day and every time they log in, they see Magazine Payments and they see our color scheme. It's just a, another way of touching them on a daily basis. You know, yeah. we've talked about like most of our, you know, uh, our portfolio is, is within a 25 mile radius of where, where we are. Right. Um, and so, you know, I drive a big branded wrapped truck. And so it, when they, when they're, you know, they're in our same County and they're at their desk working and running transactions. And then they hop in their truck to, to drive, to do an estimate. And they see me driving the opposite way, right. going to an appointment. It's like, they just saw me at their computer screen, me meaning my brand magazine payments. Right. And then they see my truck driving the opposite way that they're constantly right. seeing it. And I can't tell you how often I have clients, you know, will text me or call me or, or send me a Facebook message. And, you know, I'm sitting in the truck and all of a sudden I, I get a ping on my phone and a text message says, look behind you. And it's, you know, one of my clients behind me waving like a mad person, <laughs> you know, because, right. because they see the truck and they know it's me. They know the, right? so, they know the branding. Yeah, absolutely. And so for, for what, we were looking to accomplish. And again, I don't, I don't want to be some nat, you know, big national conglomerate, right? Like I, I want to focus on the small businesses in Anne Arundel County and Maryland and Virginia, DC, like the surrounding area, just be regional, yeah. you know? Um, and I'm, I'm totally okay with that. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. I love it. So I definitely want to get some contact info here, you know, where our listeners can go to learn more about you and, you know, where you'd send them. And then maybe though, before that, any parting words of wisdom or tips for the agents and ISOs out there that are saying, okay, cool. You know, maybe they're not right now selling gateway solutions to card, not present merchants, any kind of last minute tips or thoughts or words of wisdom for them. And then maybe uh, provide some contact info of people that want to connect with you or, or learn more. Yeah, I, I would say um, you're you're selling yourself and your business short if you don't have an omni-channel gateway platform, right? Because there there are so so many different use cases that work well in certain industries that you may not have thought about, but once you kind of tap into them, you realize. This is a game changer, you know, and I'll give you one last example. We, we use this platform a lot for automotive repair shops, right? Now you would think, okay, why, why would an auto, automotive repair shop need something like this? Well, this platform has a customer facing EMV pin pad that connects to your computer, right? And so we, will set them up where they are running the card present transactions through that, 
right? But then they also have the the card not present aspect of being able to accept payments when they're closed, right? There are a lot of people yeah. who want to yeah. drive by and pick up their vehicle that's finished, right? But they don't get off work until the 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 automotive repair place is closed, right. and they don't have a way to to pay. So when I've, when I've pitched this idea, like, Hey, would you like to be able your customer to be able to go to your website and make a payment for their open invoice so that they can come by the next day and, and pick up the car while, while you're closed? Oh, that's a fantastic idea. Right. You know? And so once we got a few people doing it, like that became like the standard for the automotive repair shops in, in this area, you know, that's a, that's a selling feature for that particular business that, Hey, you can pay when, when we're not here and you can pick up your keys in a secure lockbox and, and pick up your vehicle off hours. Yeah. You know, so I, I would definitely advise like you're, you definitely should look into it because you're selling yourself short. Um, for contact information, uh, you can always find me on LinkedIn. Um, Jaron Rice, J A R O N last name Rice, R I C E. Um, and if you're not a part of the CC sales pro Facebook group, I would highly encourage you to, to join, um, because there, there's a lot of really good information and, and good, um, topics going on that will help you and your team grow your business. Awesome. Well, Jaron, always such a pleasure. Uh, I think so many good practical tips. One of the reasons I love having you on so often is because we interview a lot of kind of industry execs, technology companies, but Ultimately, I think you're actually in a position where a lot of our audience wants to be, you know, they're that small individual, you know, agent, small shop, they're trying to grow to where you're at of becoming, you know, really dominating their local market. So I always appreciate you taking the time out of your busy schedule to jump on and share tips with our audience. So thanks again for, uh, for doing that today. Yeah, man, absolutely. Like I said, anytime, anytime you need me. So Patty, of course, always want to give a shout out to our sponsor for the podcast, NMI.com. Yes, indeed. Very excited. So today we want to talk about level three interchange optimization. Which um, has been a real hot topic with us for, you know, we've, it has. that's something we've touched on a lot. I'm really excited yeah. about what they're doing here. I am too. And, you know, I think uh, a lot of our audience may not even be super familiar with the concept, but, you know, when you think about interchange costs, that is the bulk of the cost of payment processing. Right. Right. But but interchange does not have to be set. I mean, there are certain things you can do, additional data you can submit mm -hmm. with the transaction to get a lower interchange rate. And especially um, that's especially important in the B2B market, right? Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So if you're dealing with merchants that do B2B transactions, usually their card not present, which right. means they normally need a gateway, like we talked about with Jaron today. Right. Um, and with NMI, if you enable level three, what happens is the merchants can enter some additional data ahead of time. You know, right. their physical address, how they do purchase orders and that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. um, and then they can even be prompted to add some additional data. But the idea is NMI is going to enable your merchant to get a lower interchange cost, which is going to allow you to offer additional savings and or increase your margins because right. they're going to be lowering that underlying cost. Of course. Yeah. And and it doesn't take a whole lot of work on the merchant's part no, not to get all. that. Yeah, no, it really doesn't. So if that's something that sounds interesting to you, or you're looking for a gateway provider, and, and I use the gateway, I mean, now NMI is so much more than just a gateway, but right. you're looking for that processor agnostic technology solution, head over to ccsalespro.com slash NMI, ccsalespro.com slash NMI. This is Questions from the Field, brought to you by ccsalespro.com. 
the leader in merchant sales training and technology. If you are an individual merchant sales professional, visit ccsalespro.com forward slash training to get a free 14-day trial of our all-access pass. If you manage a team of merchant sales professionals, visit ccsalespro.com forward slash ISO to learn how we can help you grow. And now, here is Questions from the Field with James Shepard. So, Patty, uh, this week, questions in the field. Um, last week, we had kind of our part one talking about delegation 101 right. and, you know, some of the key mistakes that are made. And so in the second part and final part, uh, I wanted to give some tips that I think will benefit those who are looking to hire that first person, start you know building their team, but also even for some of the larger ISOs out there. I want to talk about compensation and benefits mm-hmm. uh, for right. employees. Um, right. This is an area that I am really passionate about. Um, I've done a, you know so much consulting, and you know inevitably whether you are hiring your first employee or you're hiring your you know 100th or 200th or whatever employee, right? There is this uh, inevitable um, pull towards standardization and right. making things consistent across the board for everyone, right? And while that does certainly have its place. Um, you certainly want people to know what to expect and things of that nature. Um, I have, I don't think I've really ever seen this go too far the other direction. Yeah. Um, you know, everyone ends up taking the standardization too far. And what I think is so crucial, again, whether you're hiring your first employee or 10th or 100th, is as you're bringing people on board, number one, make sure you're identifying the core competencies or what, what we call the non-negotiable skill set. Yes, that someone needs to have to do the job that you're bringing on. Um, a conversation I'm thinking of right now, I hadn't even thought of it until now, but um, a CEO of a very large, uh, well-known processing company, I was doing some consulting for, this would have been probably uh, seven years ago when I was building my own ISO. And uh-huh. I was just asking him for advice. I was at his office, it was me and him one-on-one. And I said, you know, I'm hiring all these people, you know, what advice can you give me? And he said, you know, James, he said, you know, I can't remember the exact wording now, but he basically said that, you know, you can train everybody that you hire, but he said, you're never going to get that time back. And Mm -hmm. so he said, if you have to train everybody you bring in, just understand that you're using your time, right? You can afford to hire somebody that already has these non-negotiable skills that you need for this job. Understand that you're going to, your company is going to grow faster. You're going to move quicker. You're going to have more time to focus on other important things. And I definitely think that that holds true. Again, a lot of times people hire that first person and think, well, the first person I hire, that should be a, you know, $10 an hour type person to do scheduling and calls and stuff. Well, maybe, or maybe you find somebody for 60,000 a year at, and bring them in as your operations person and mm-hmm. have them do all of these operational things and just totally free you up to go sell. I mean, one right. other really, really competent person might be able to help you quadruple your business in 12 months. Right. And, you know, especially when you think of operations, I think of like, uh, you know, I, I, I just saw a, uh, a, a post on your Facebook page recently, you know, on the CC Sales Pro Facebook page about, yeah. you know, anybody knows somebody who can, you know, hook up these terminals. Right. Right. If you right. had an operations guy that could take care of that kind of stuff, 
right poor girl whatever right. you know an operations right. person who yeah. could take care of that kind of stuff imagine right. all the time you'd free up yeah and you know it's interesting it, even like last night um, my wife christine and i were having this interesting conversation about um, a school that uh, a, a private school in our area that's just had a lot of uh, challenges with employee turnover and and things of that nature employee satisfaction stuff and right you know, i told her i said isn't it insane i said when you think about i said our payroll at our business is like triple the payroll of that school mm-hmm. you know when they're in operations and it's like you know the reason is because now when i'm hiring people i'm generally like i want to find somebody that is going to just be amazing at what they're doing right and i'm willing to pay more right. because i know that when i pay more i get more and so it just it's it's interesting kind of that that you know dichotomy of just figuring out what are these non-negotiable skills so take the time to really dig into that make sure you have a good idea of what you want people to do how you're going to leverage their skill set um but then number two you then need to reverse engineer their motivations mm. and understand what motivates them. And this is where all of the standardization comes in that really tends to kill morale and, and, you know, all of that, because, you know, there are people who are at a stage in life where what they value most is schedule flexibility. Sure. Right. right. They right. have, you know, their kids are playing little league baseball. They right. have their daughters in dance. They have different school functions to go to things of this nature. Right. Um, you know, and so for them, the, you know, what they want most is they just want to be paid their regular, you know, salary, but they would love the ability to come in a little early or a little late and, right. and kind of adjust their schedule a little bit. Okay. Well, can you make that happen for them? Right. If so, that's, what's going to motivate them to do their job and say, Hey, look, as long as you're doing a good job for me, yes, I can make that accommodation for you. But mm-hmm. then the person sitting next to them doing the exact same job they may be at a point in life where they're trying to save money for their future and they just want to make as much as they can. They're willing to work the extra hours, right? Right. right. Well, all of a sudden, having this transparent communication, which I'm going to talk more about in a second, having this transparent communication with your employees, you might get both of those two employees in a room together and say, mm-hmm. hey, look, I want to be really clear about this. You, this person here is going to be making more money between the two of you because they would like to make you know have more hours and that's a motivation for them it sounds like right now your objective is to spend more time watching your kids play baseball and doing all that i think both of you are fantastic i think both of you that's great you you know success is different for everybody sure so glad so what we're going to do is this works out perfectly i'm going to have you know susan is going to take some of your hours bob and so she's going to be working more hours in the evenings coming in earlier to be able to make sure we do have that stability. We have somebody here always doing that job. Right. I just need to make sure that you're here during our peak hours. And then if you want to work a little bit later, a little bit earlier, just make sure you're communicating with me what your schedule is going to be a couple of weeks in advance. And we can plan for that. And right. you know, so you can have these conversations. The reason that everybody standardizes everything, honestly, is that nobody wants to have any conversations. They don't want... Yeah. Yeah. They don't want the transparent communication. To me, it's awkward for them, right? I mean, it that's, is. that's what, it's, what it boils and it, down. And it's inconvenient. They're so busy. Mm-hmm. And it's like, but why are you so busy that you can't have transparent communication? The reason you're so busy is that your employees are not doing very good. Right. <laughs> you're trying to you know, put out fires all day. Whereas if you would take the time to communicate transparently with your team, well, mm-hmm. then you would be able to take time off. You'd be able to have more flexibility and you wouldn't be as concerned. So you can either choose to spend your time cleaning up the messes that your employees are leaving. Right. Or you can choose to spend the time training and communicating with your employees and letting them pick up their own mess. Right. You no. Know? Um, and so a long time ago, I just decided that I was not a babysitter. I wasn't running a daycare. 
Um, and I was right. going to bring in people that I trusted and, and I was going to have people and I would let them do their jobs and I would right. do my best to communicate with them and try to reverse engineer. Hey, what works for you right now? What are you looking for? Do you need to make more money? Do you need more you know, time flexibility? Do you want an extra week of vacation? Like, I don't know what's going to motivate you. You know, you don't need right. everybody in your company to have exactly the same everything. Right. Um, because that's not, that's actually not efficient. It sounds efficient, but it's actually the opposite of efficient because now people are not as motivated. So last thing I want to do quickly is I do want to dig in a little bit deeper on this, on this communication piece. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Let's do that. So, you know, you have to communicate with your team mm-hmm. and, 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 you know, this is like, well, duh. Yeah. It sounds easy, but I, you know, I can't even tell you how easy it is. It's actually easier to let that slide. Sure. I do it all the time myself. I'll have people on my team, especially now where we have a couple of layers and I'll have people on my team where I'm like, you know, I haven't really talked to that person about their job in, you know, six months. And it's like, how did that happen? Like, how did I let six months go by? And then I'll have that conversation and I'll realize, okay, wow, this person's not happy anymore in what they're doing, or they're still doing something that we told them to do a year ago that they shouldn't be doing anymore. It's a total waste of time. Nobody even needs them to do that. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, Or this is a person who is looking for a challenge and they want to actually grow in their career. Mm-hmm. But I haven't had that conversation. They're stagnating. They're probably job hunting. Right. And I actually have things I would love to give them to increase their level of responsibility and their pay along with it. But I didn't realize that they had had shifted their stage in life. And so these conversations have to happen and you have to make them happen. You have to take the time to right. have the, the conversations, take people out to lunch, have them into the office. You know, how's everything going? What, what do we need to do different? Um, and, you know, sometimes negative conversations, even, you know, there's a problem yeah. with performance, right? right. Um, and so you have to have transparent communication. And if you're wondering if you're communicating enough, you're not, you know? Yeah, that's a good, that's a good point. It's, it's just, you if you're wondering, then obviously you're not. Yeah. Right. It's, it should be where you get to the end of your day and you think, you know, it's funny, like I'm recording this podcast, you know, Patty, I had, so it's, what time is it now? It's like two o'clock for us. So I had one meeting before this for 30 minutes. I got into the office around 945 this morning. And that was the first thing that I did that was not communicating with my employees. So from when I got half in, an hour ago. Yeah. So from yeah. 945 to like one something, I was and I started off over in John's office. Then I moved over and talked to Sean. Then I talked to Josh. Then I talked to Micah. Then I talked to the other Josh. Then I was talking to Chrissy. Then I was talking to, you know, and it's just, right. you know, making the rounds, talking to everybody. How's everything going? How what can I do for you today? And so having right. that kind of okay, what, what can I do? How can I help? Um, again, when you spend your time doing that, well, then when last month I was gone for practically a month on vacation with different family and things like that, yeah, I checked in, but I mean, I wasn't super concerned. I have a lot of people here that are responsible that are doing what they need to do. Right. Um, do we have our, our issues? Absolutely. Right. It's not the perfect team that doesn't exist. So we have issues, we have things, but you know, we have a team that you know is working together and getting things done. And this is generally responsible. And that comes from when I'm here, it's lots and lots of transparent communication to make sure everything is good. And if I see a problem, I don't just let that problem go. If I see somebody is unsatisfied, if I see that there's an issue, you know, the leader jumps in and deals with it. That's it. Exactly. You know, when you were talking about communicating with your employees, I remember years ago when I worked in an office environment and they would have staff meetings, right? Which were such a waste of time. Yes. You know, because all it was is people complaining or, you know, patting each other on the back and it right. really never got to the substantive issues of, right. Are you happy? Are you doing what you want to be doing? Yeah. You know, uh, or the other side of it, we're really happy with what you're doing. Keep up the right. good work. Right. right. 
Yeah. yeah you know, and I think in, you know, that reminds me of a quote from uh, a guy that I knew who was a uh, very, very wealthy individual. And he told me that, you know, I asked him about this is when I was uh, maybe 20 years old, 21, just getting into business. And right, right. He said, James, he said, a, a profitable business is just a group of happy, profitable people. Yes. I'm like, okay. And so he said, you know, you build your, you build your business empire with one person at a time that is happy and profitable. What they are doing is, it's you know, adding you to your bottom line more money because right. they are there, yes. you know, and it's pretty simple. Just, you need a group of profitable people. So again, I would say I would, you know, number one, throw everything out the window that you had in mind about, you know, the type of person that you get, you know, the, the idea that, well, if I hire a $10 an hour person, that's cheaper than hiring a $20 hour. No, no. has nothing at all to do with that. Now, sometimes it is right to, you know, if you want somebody to read a script and call through a list for you, yeah, 10, 12, 13 bucks an hour is probably all you need to pay to get that done. But if you broaden your gaze a little bit and say, well, yeah, but really what I need is I need to not be worried about the operational side of my business so I can just sell. Right. That might be a 50, 60, $70,000 a year you know, salary employee, but right. that might be the cheapest thing you could do. That might be the best ROI you could get is finding that person that's like, oh my goodness, I would enjoy working with this person every day. They're fantastic. Mm -hmm. And then they mm -hmm. could take care of even helping me get some more people involved, right. but, but they could do everything operationally. And I would just not even have to worry about it. I could just go sell. Sometimes that's actually your, the most profitable thing you can do. Sure. And those people are out there. They're, they're looking for work. Um, there are people that they don't want to own a piece of the business. You know, that's mm -hmm. not their, their dream is yeah. to build a career and to be the second person that's going to help you build something meaningful. Right. Right. Um, you can find those people. So I would say, number one, get all that stuff out of your head of, well, which, which person is cheaper? No, no, no. Which person is the better investment? Right. Right. Um, and then number two is transparent communication, reverse engineer the motives, figure out what people want, figure out what's going to make them happy. And then have the, have the conversation, have the difficult conversation, have the good conversation, have all the conversations. Mm -hmm. And then when you think I've had so many conversations today, I can't have any more, have one more, you yes. know, yes. and just keep exactly. communicating, keep communicating. And that's really going to be the key to effective delegation. Really great stuff, James. Thank you. This is the Insider's Report with Patty Murphy, brought to you by The Green Sheet. For nearly 40 years, The Green Sheet has been the go-to source for news, analysis, and educational tools that empower and connect payments professionals. If you're not reading The Green Sheet already, check it out on the web today at www.greensheet.com. Okay, so everybody, Visa reports that in the third quarter, there were 370 million tap-to-pay enabled credit and debit cards in the U.S. Meanwhile, wow. Fiserv, which I think is very in interesting, is reporting that four months after the EMV liability shift for pay at pump, 60% of the transactions at self-service gas pumps it supports now use EMV chip cards. Oh, wow, that's a pretty big number. That's a pretty big deal, I thought. Yeah. You know, but here's the bad news. The worldwide chip shortage threatens the issuance of more than a billion, that's 1 billion payment cards between now and 2023. Wow. That's a big deal. You know, I mean, yeah. you know, the, as we all know, the, and we haven't talked about it a lot on here. So I just, you know, just give a little synopsis. You know, the whole chip shortage traces its origins back to the COVID-19 pandemic, because as you know, hundreds of millions of people were forced to stay at home you know, bereft of the trappings of work and play life, yep. demand for laptops and other consumer electronics skyrocketed. Yeah. Uh, chip, you know, chip manufacturers had trouble keeping up and soon supply, you know, there were supply chain shortages. 
which affected everything from automobiles to smartphones, and now it seems credit and debit cards. Hmm. Um, The impact has, quote, remained largely invisible through the first half of 2021, said the London-based ABI research. But as lead times between orders and deliveries continue to lengthen, the situation is shaping up to produce a, quote, critical chip shortage in 2022. Um, The Smart Payment Alliance said the bottlenecks in chip supply has become so pronounced that card manufacturers are having trouble filling orders, and it sees this continuing at least through 2022. Hmm. It said, uh, quote, we foresee significant disruptions in payment card production beyond the reasonable control of payment card manufacturers that will affect their ability to meet full demand. Hmm. And there's this German firm whose name I always have trouble pronouncing, Geisig Deverent, I think. I mean, it sounds right to me. I have no idea, but it sounds good. Just just pretend that you know how to pronounce it. That's it. Geisig Deverent, otherwise known as D plus G plus D, um, has warned that there's already a 10% cut in payment card production. And this could trigger far-reaching disruptions. In terms of cash supply, you know, think in terms of ATMs, as well as electronic payments, which in turn could really, um, you know, result in some significant economic damage. Um, yeah. You know, the trip, the chip shortage is also having a trickle down effect on equipment manufacturers, though from my reporting, it doesn't seem as pronounced as with card manufacturers. You know, I spoke with several ISOs and at least one terminal manufacturer who told me that there's, you know, production has slowed down, you know, but they're filling orders. They're just not able to get ahead of the demand curve. You know, as one ISO said to me, you know, whereas before I used to order bulk, you know, like hundreds, now I'm just ordering what I need for this month. Yeah. But I, you know, I really think, you know, that we haven't, as a society, we haven't really looked at those implications Right. Of the whole COVID thing, like right. that trickle down effect, yeah, a billion cards, you know, not, and and that comes at a time when we're really focusing on getting a lot of people are focusing on getting more chip cards out that are contactless enabled, mm, right? Yes. yes, you know, I I know we you and I have talked about this before. I have in my wallet probably five credit and debit cards, maybe six, only two. Two and one of them is a prepaid card, are right. contactless enabled. Yeah. Uh, you know, and I was thinking, oh, you know, when my cards come up in 2022, I'll probably get a chip card. Maybe not. Yeah. You know, and uh, and that I think is going to slow down some of this contactless adoption. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and it could have you know, triple you know, it could have a trickle down effects in terms of payments. Yeah. Hmm. Wow, very interesting. Yeah, I I really didn't think about the whole chip shortage. I wasn't thinking about the impact on that area. Yeah, and and to be honest, I hadn't thought about it until a week or two ago when I started getting these press releases from all these research companies. I think I got, in the space of three days, I got three different releases from people saying, hey, this is a problem. Yeah. So, uh, you know, it's just worth worth keeping, uh, keeping note of. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks, Patty. Sure. Thank you for listening to the Merchant Sales Podcast. Whether you are an industry veteran, processing executive, or just trying to learn about the payment space, we appreciate your time. The Merchant Sales Podcast is a joint production of greensheet.com and ccsalespro.com. 
and we hope you will tune in next week for more information and tips on building your merchant services business.